Hello and welcome to episode 55 of the UC Architects, the world's most popular Skype for Business Exchange and Office 365 podcast. Today's show was recorded on the 9th of September 2015 and I'm your host, Exchange MVP Steve Goodman. And this week I'm joined by Stole Hansen, uh, Tom Arbuthnot, uh, Johan Delorman, uh, Thomas Poet, uh, Fabrizio Wolpe, yeah? Phew, I got them mostly right. Uh, And this week's show is recorded live from Modern Workplace Summit and Skype Days in Oslo. Uh, And today we're going to start off with our top stories and then move into some Q&A from the audience uh, and go through the the Skype for Business MVPs uh, to give you some answers. And there's a few, thankfully, exchange questions thrown in there as well. So, our top stories this week... Uh, first of all, and this is the one I think is the most important of all, uh, is the new Office 365 hybrid configuration wizard, uh, which is uh, badly named probably because it only covers Exchange Online. Uh, it's the replacement for the Exchange HCW uh, that you'll have had from Exchange 2010, 2013, uh, and the new Office 365 hybrid configuration wizard uh, is simply put an always up-to-date version for configuring Exchange Hybrid. Uh, how it works is you access it and it downloads the latest possible version from Microsoft and then executes that against your environment. It's going to be available from day zero in Exchange 2016. And for people on Exchange 2013, CU8 and above, it'll be the, the default that you can use as well. It's available now and we'll put a link up to that uh, on the, the tech, uh, onto the, the blog. Uh, and that's on the Exchange team blog there. Uh, any interest in that at all from you guys? No. <laughs> no, no. Oh. I, I can't only that it's a kind of difficult audience. <laughs> uh, Probably of more interest uh, is people are starting to play with Skype for Business uh, online uh, and broadcast meeting. Uh, so that's obviously a big area of interest to Skype for Business MVPs. So uh, do you want to give a quick summary of how Skype for Business broadcast meeting works? Yeah. Uh, and then go around and, and talk about some of, the, uh, some of the challenges for setting it up both on-prem and in cloud. Uh, and go across our MVPs. Uh, yeah, so uh, broadcast meeting is a new awesome feature where you can have a uh, Skype for Business meeting and stream it to any device using Azure Media Services. And I tried this on two occasions, and uh, what I learned was it's a powerful feature, but you need to prepare before having the meeting. You need to, you can't do it ad hoc. You need to have a team around you helping you to broadcast it correct and make sure that the content is shared and, uh, and um, make sure that uh, the correct links are distributed. Uh, so so it, the experience will be good. So this is not an ad hoc feature, it's a planned feature. You should be two or three people uh, in the meeting administering it. And the experience for those administering it is you're you joining uh, a regular Skype for Business meeting. You have some extra controls uh, where you can choose what to broadcast. Uh, you can broadcast uh, just video, just voice, um, just presentation, or presentation and media and voice. So uh, you have the ability to choose. Uh, at the moment, um, there. It, it, it doesn't feel finished. It's, it's, it is a technical preview. Uh, it doesn't feel finished because if you manage to, to stop your broadcast, you can't start it again. So the broadcast is over. That's, 
So, so, so it feels like you, you need to know what you're doing, and if you're going to practice, you should practice in another meeting and not the same meeting. Uh, so that was one thing. And uh, when we back, went back to the portal uh, where the meeting was scheduled, uh, there were no uh, reporting, there were no um, um, metrics around the meeting, but uh, I I've managed to find actually that the meeting were recorded. So you can download an MP4 file of the recording and distribute it and, uh, and also a CSV file with all the uh, people that, that had joined, what kind of browser that had, they had joined from, how long they were listening, yeah, and if it was during the meeting or if they were watching a uh, rerun or a recording of the meeting. So that's quite interesting. So what could, do you guys think? As, um, as you know, all the new Skype for Business uh, futures, all the most interesting, have been uh, <laughs> are going to be blessed on the cloud. And this is a good example. Uh, this is a future that removes uh, the whole limit of 1,000 users on a meeting uh, on-premises. And also the limit was uh, a little bit optimistic because it was really difficult to have uh, so many people in a meeting on premises. So this is one of the good motivations for a company to uh, connect this existing uh, on premises Skype for business to the cloud in uh, my from my point of view. Yeah, for me personally it's it's a huge benefit like this really ties into what hybrid is meant to be. Like we have the infrastructure on premise and we can leverage features from the cloud and features you don't want to provision on your premise because it takes so much processing power. So it's like the best of both worlds. And well, still Skype for Business runs best on on-premise because we have the full feature set, but, but we can extend it to the cloud. And I think that's a great extension. I'm very eager to see what other extensions will be possible in the future. Yeah, it's, it's a good question. What I more see is, is not only the technical perspective. I, I see what actually the user experience would look like. So that means like, how do we need to train the people? Um, how this this guys who will stream or use broadcast meetings, how they actually are going to set it up, what, what is the requirement um, in the company to make it happen. And there I'm, I'm seeing some, some difficulties if we compare it to the standard client as well to the broadcast meeting. So it looks from the color quite similar, but actually how we are going to, to, to administer, how we are going to, to work in this meeting. There I'm, I'm still looking quite forward and, and try to hopefully figure it out with, with certain customers what would be the best part to just get the, the UATs also done um, for this kind of hybrid setups we have with the broadcast meetings. Thanks, Thomas. Yeah, I think, I think most of it's been covered really well there. It's a good example of highway hybrid makes complete sense. Um, one of the interesting things about it is the Skype for Business broadcast team are taking lots of input from customers. So the scenario presented to a viewer can be completely skinned. So it doesn't have to look like a Skype meeting. It can look like ABC's bank shareholder meeting or XYZ Media Company's fashion launch. And, and you can customize the plugins around the screen so you can use Yammer or Twitter or Bing Pulse or your own proprietary stuff. So there's lots of thought in what the customer wants. And we're seeing this new model with Microsoft of 
previews and iterations and input. So if you're interested in this scenario, it's a great opportunity to get involved now and have a real impact on, on where the product's going. Thanks, guys. Uh, so that, that's Skype for Business broadcast meeting uh, in just a few minutes. Uh, so next up, let's talk briefly about the event we're at today. Uh, so Modern Workplace Summit and Skype Days. Uh, it's the second year that you've ran the event, Starlay, and it seems to have been quite a success. Uh, this year it's over two days, and not just Link, it's also covering the whole Office 365 and Windows 10 as well. Sweet. Uh, so it's a bit of a departure, and uh, it gave an excuse to bring out some Office 365 and a couple of Exchange MVPs as well. Um, but it seems like the, the meat of the, the, the day, uh, all the days have been on the Skype for Business side from what I've seen. Uh, so do you want to give a quick overview of, of how you think it's went? And sure. Um, so Modern Workplace Summit is uh, something I would uh, like to have uh, in a place like uh, Norway. And and since we are bringing in speakers from all around the world, uh, the language of the event is uh, English. Uh, so we can have attendees and, uh, and speakers from places like Sweden and and from Europe and uh, we also have speakers from uh, US uh, and uh, and also uh, attendees from from US I think so uh, that's that's fun uh, the reason why we do this is we like to share knowledge right and uh, I want to invite my uh, friends over and and talk about uh, this uh, these products that we are working on and and uh, I want to uh, share the knowledge with um, the attendees and people interested in it because um, we see a lot of knowledge out there but uh, being able to share it and people to know about it is important um, instead of just keep me, keeping it uh, for yourself. And uh, so we were lucky at Modern Workplace Summit to, to get uh, lots of MEPs over. I think we were 25 MEPs. That's crazy. Uh, and uh, we have a couple of MEPs working at uh, Knowledge Factory. So I invited my Sky for Business friends and Knut Elbemo invited his, his um, Office 365 MEP friends. And Johan Arvidmark invited his Windows 10 MEP friends. So, so it was quite a bunch, really. And uh, the, fo the main focus of the conference is, is the content. Uh, and uh, we also wanted to have an expo area, so we have uh, sponsors there. We had about 33 sponsors. So uh, really thanks to them for, for making us uh, being able to, to host this kind of event. And uh, yeah, uh, we were about uh, 400 people here uh, at the event in total. So it was uh, not a big event, but uh, hopefully an uh, interesting event. All right. So answer my questions. The first one that we've got is uh, Skype for, uh, for business upgrade. If you're planning on doing an in-place upgrade and the 2013 servers are running 2008 R2, uh, is that a good thing or a bad thing? So who wants to take that? <laughs> I had a feeling it might be you. <laughs> Yeah, so, so my, one of my sessions was on upgrade from Link 2013 Skype for Business. Uh, it's a good question. If you're running 2008 R2 on uh, Link 2013, I wouldn't do an in-place upgrade. It's quite an old OS now. It is supported, so Microsoft will bless you and you can do it. Uh, and early on in the development cycle, there was a real technical reason. It was that 2008 R2 had an older version of Windows Fabric. 
Um, that technical reason was bridged. Windows 2008 R2 can have the version 3 fabric now, so there's not a technical reason there. But you're just on a very old OS compared to 2012 or R2. So I take the opportunity to do a side-by-side -side and go to 2012 R2. It's a more modern OS, it supports virtualization better, and you're just in a more supported fashion, a more common fashion than sticking on 08 R2 for Skype for Business. I don't, I don't see any disagreements from my friends in the panel, so I think we're good. <laughs> Uh, next one, uh, link room system. Uh, what, what, what's the roadmap for upgrading that uh, in the future to a Skype for Business equivalent? Anyone know? Oh. Anyone think what the best way forward with that might be? Yeah, so uh, th there's, there's an upgrade coming uh, that changes some bits and pieces visually uh, and adds a couple of new features. And I think it's just being rolled out the same way the other updates have been rolled out. I'm not sure on timelines. Um, but it's definitely being looked after in a branding sense to go up to the next version. We've got one on Exchange. Uh, so do, any of you guys want to take the Exchange one? Or can I have it? No? Okay. Uh, so the quick summary of new features in Exchange 2016. What's new? Uh, a new OWA, which you can see now if you use Office 365. Uh, all those new features that you saw announced uh, a month or so ago for Office, uh, for Office 365 uh, are in the preview version and will be on the, the release version, uh, which includes uh, swipe to, to remove items, uh, auto email reminders of appointments uh, are in there as well. Uh, auto expanding archives uh, is a great new feature. So if you've used uh, online archives in Exchange, then uh, they they can become quite big uh, and over time especially if you're ingesting data from legacy archive solutions uh, it can be a bit of a problem uh, auto expanding archives are effectively lots of mailboxes stitched together on the, the back end and presented at a single view to the client. You need Office 2016 and above to see the full archive, but uh, effectively that means that you can have an archive that spans multiple servers on-prem uh, across multiple databases, and it never has the storage issues associated with a single very, very large mailbox. Uh, so potentially you know, multiple hundreds uh, of terabytes in a single archive mailbox is possible and feasible because it's really just an aggregate. Uh, storage improvements uh, apparently we've got 22 percent less iops required which should mean that if you're uh, looking to deploy on-prem on sata disks then i guess nowadays that might be like one iop a second that you'll need uh, i'm not sure it could go any lower they said on 2013 and joked that it's going to give you back iops uh, it didn't uh, but it's even less. So the storage calculator is obviously going to be soon updated. Uh, it probably means that sizing for Exchange 2016 isn't going to be more costly than 2013. Uh, biggest change in, in 2016 is the roles. Uh, effectively, 2013 was two roles, but really it was actually many more roles because it still had transport, unified messaging, client access and the mailbox roles. And then uh, that was aggregated together as a mailbox role. And then you had the client access uh, proxy that sat there with services that relayed traffic back to the, the back end mailbox role. That's all been grouped together as a single role. Uh, so if, if you install Exchange now, effectively you don't have any choice but to install a multi-role server, uh, unless you're adding an edge of course. Uh, those, those are the key new features that I can think of off the top of my head. Uh, I think there's some e-discovery improvements as well, better hybrid configuration wizard, uh, and that's about it, I think. Yeah. So, Steve, I assume this is a new version. 
we've got our nice five-step in-place upgrade for Skype for Business. So same on Exchange or? Uh, I think that's absolutely fantastic <laughs> for you to ask that. Uh, so, so, so I asked this question early on and was told uh, that the, the best way of doing it is to buy all new servers and move to that. <laughs> so so you, if you've read about Exchange 2016, then you've seen lots of posts around from people uh, saying it's, it's kind of like a service pack two for 2013. Uh, obviously with things like database performance improvements, uh, there's, there's a reason why they've decided that it's better for it not to be an in-place upgrade uh, and it makes more sense to, to move. Uh, some of the, the limitations uh, uh, include you, you know you'll have to build a new DAG and move mailboxes across. You can't upgrade a DAG you know one by one by taking out and replacing servers. There's not a good type of you know in-place upgrade process at all. It's build a uh, build an extra DAG, move everyone across. Uh, so we'll see how many upgrades there are. I think this release is going to be better for people on 2010 who didn't really want to move to 2013. And saw it as perhaps you know the, the vista in between because it started off quite unreliable, but are ready to go now. 2010 is an extended support, so it's probably time to think about moving to either Exchange Online or upgrading on-prem because when people say it's 2013 service pack two, they mean this is going to be a pretty stable release. Uh, you know, all, all my mail has been running on it for since the preview and up until the latest builds, uh, and I'm very very happy with it. I consider it. A very stable release. Uh, Multi-tenant upgrade path uh, from Link 2013 into Skype for Business. What do you do here, Starley? Yeah, so so the question was, uh, what do you do with the uh, uh, multi-tenant uh, part of uh, Link 2013 uh, to Skype for Business? So the official answer is that uh, Office 365 is replacing the multi-tenant part, so you should move to the cloud. That's the official answer, uh, and uh, so that's what Microsoft is focusing on right now, which means that there is no multi-tenant uh, version of Skype for Business, uh, which leaves hosters in a pickle, really. Uh, what do they do? Uh, what do they do with a multi-tenant environment uh, in terms of uh, moving their customers to Skype for Business? And uh, since there is no real upgrade path, uh, there you have two options, really. Uh, you can go, go the non-supported way and, and uh, implement a regular Skype for Business and have multiple customers on the same deployment. Not in a multi-tenant way, but you can tune the address book and so on. Uh, but you lose some of the ethical firewalls uh, around that. Uh, you will lose some of the features uh, regarding uh, uh, that customers on the same deployment can see each other uh, without Flag, being flagged as uh, external. Uh, so there, there is no real upgrade path. Uh, what Microsoft is recommending uh, is going through a dedicated deployment where you have a dedicated deployment per customer. Uh, for smaller customers, that may not be a good business case, but uh, the advantage is uh, that the uh, customer have their own Skype for Business deployment that you can host in a... Uh, optimal way in your, in your hosting environment. And then uh, you can also get the benefit of doing uh, hybrid scenarios because that's a one-to-one -one scenario for Skype for Business. And, uh, and that's why Microsoft is uh, promoting the dedicated uh, approach as well because 
you see features like uh, hybrid voice and uh, you have a broadcast meeting that's uh, that are on, um, on online features only so um, can I ask a couple of yeah so there's no multi tenant can I ask a couple of follow-up questions on that then sure uh, so if you're uh, if you're an office 365 customer and you want to buy something from a hoster uh, how can they do hybrid connectivity to your tenant even though there is, there'd be a separate dedicated environment to your on-prem AD? Um, so if I understand your question correctly, like multi-forest hybrid. Yeah, as a fact, uh, I'm actually working uh, with uh, several system integrators uh, looking into this issue because Microsoft actually doesn't support this. So if you have three forests, which means customer forest, Office 365, which has Azure AD, which is also the forest, and then a Skype hoster, which has its own forest. So that's not a supported uh, installation right now. Um, but a lot of partners are complaining to Microsoft because this doesn't make sense. And there are solutions on the market which actually give you this capability, but still unsupported. So I think we just have to wait a little bit longer and my, maybe Microsoft will change its standpoint. But for, for now, it's not supported. And yeah, we have to live with it. Yeah, just to echo, we're seeing the same thing. Hosters that have a forest, the customer forest and the, and the 365 forest, and it's becoming a challenge. Um, also, there's a challenge that exchange support for that model is fine and Skype business isn't. So when you're working with customers or you're working with your own deployments, be careful about the different support DMARCs for exchange hybrid versus SharePoint hybrid versus Skype for Business hybrid. There's slightly different rules around all of them. Let me also add something to it. At the moment, I'm still working with a, with a company yeah, very close from, from south of Munich. So it's not actually in Germany, so I don't want to make some, some ads for them. But what we actually see there is if you even develop this um, multi-tenant solution entirely by yourself, it's not only the supportability part, it's also the responsibility part. And, and I see it depends on if you maybe have a large um, firm, maybe with, with three, four, five hundred thousand um, yeah, Skype for business users and you want to separate them in this, it's, it's a total different case as if you have really um, independent um, identities like, like company A, B and C and they are also legal um, separated identities. And when you're going actually that way and you want to see that you are always want to follow the Microsoft path and, and even the, the development of the second hybrid part, so that means like Office 365 hybrid with this kind of, of multi-tenant solutions, it's, it's quite a mess and we have to see how that would be ever supported and at the end it is part on on a managed solution so that means like how we can actually manage it and even when it's a managed or outsourced solution and and this one it's a multi-tenant way actually you can't build any processes around that one anymore so that's why even if there are solutions on the market which build something on their own they are also having license issues. So what license can we use? Um, is it an on-premise license, so the standard cars? Is it an Office 365 e-plan, or if it's a SPLA, or whatever license we have to use? And that's really also on the compliance side, much too complicated. So I, I agree also with my folks here, just keep it um, on-premise, do the normal Microsoft way, and you are definitely on a safe safe side because it's the main, uh, the main and, and major communication system in your company, right? Yeah, actually, I want to add something to that because uh, there is a way where, where it's supported. So you can extend the customer Active Directory into your hosted data centers. But that brings, of course, a lot of security issues with you. But there is a way. 
So that's the only way currently. Yeah, and, and Microsoft is promoting that and they are, of course, uh, advising against on dedicated uh, separate Active Directories. And that's because of the hybrid part, really. So, yeah, it's a complex approach. So, so maybe uh, wait uh, a bit in order to see if uh, the supportability will come for, um, uh, for dedicated as well. Um, makes sense if, if it would, but there is, there is no multi-tenant. So, so it sounds like the, the supported scenario is very, very different from just buying a multi-tenant link solution and having a few licenses. It's almost getting uh, your host on the MPLS, extending your Active Directory into their data center. That's, that is, is kind of a, that's kind of a big undertaking <laughs> at the moment. Uh, that, was a, that was a great question. Thanks very much. Uh, so an easier one, maybe. Uh, how have you in the past convinced the firewall teams that you've worked with at customer side or whatever to open up some of the high ports uh, from, is it 50 to 59,000? Yeah. Thomas. Well, let's, let, let, let's do it. It's a quite, quite easy way. We had two, two different ways. Um, one way is sometimes um, you get this chief security office, officer and mainly he can make even a final decision. That worked, by the way, for me uh, very often in Asia. So we were discussing, discussing over months and he said and asked a simple question, you want to have it or not? If you want to have it, open it one way. The other part, it's as Microsoft explained it also to me, and it made really a lot of sense. If we see how it actually works on dynamic ports, um, and we just see it with a single server um, at the moment on the edge side, actually there is no port listening. So that means like if I open a port on the firewall and there is nothing behind, so what should be happen? First is nothing because I can't connect. And they, they made an analogy on this one. If, if we are in the valley, for example, so we have two sides of the valley, um, I need a bridge to come over. If I open on one side a path, like the firewall, but there is no bridge, I can't go over it. But if I shout over the valley and say, maybe could you move the bridge to me, please? So opening the port from inside, it is really a safe scenario. And again, you mustn't have it, but it's recommended because all the connections are going much more faster. And if you listen to some of the sessions I think there was a very nice one from Thomas Binder to just just remind that one again to understand even in a scenario where the ports um, the high port range is closed externally but in a pool deployment an edge server it's internally that's the hairpinning thing still used so if it is even still used why not then open it as well and again you can't connect to the port if the port is actually not requested and open from inside yeah, and this is uh, some of the, the stuff I was talking about in my session. So you have to be aware that in order for you to connect to Edge, you need to have the MRS credentials. So when you get those credentials, when you are authenticated, so you first need to log in into a link or Skype for Business. You need to get the credentials from Edge. You use these credentials to connect to Edge. If you don't have the credentials, you're not able to connect anyway. Um, and even for anonymous users, they get credentials from Edge to join a meeting, um, but it's just for joining a meeting. But I think one of the, the biggest issues I've seen in the past is like uh, security admins, they say uh, 10,000 ports, you can say whatever you want because I'm not uh, administering this service or server. I don't know what's going on. If you say that, I have to believe you, but I'm not believing you because I open so many ports, you can do something else. So it's kind of, yeah, are they believing you? Do they trust how the system works? 
and do they trust what's going to happen? Yeah, I think the, explaining that technical model definitely helps helps the conversation. Um, we've had lots of customers do pen tests on edges, so that's another thing. Is like, don't be afraid to say, well, if you're unsure, we'll configure it and get a third party to do a penetration test. Um, and so far, those have come out all right for our personal ones. So that's definitely an option. Um, but I mean, also that the 10,000 is just a scary number. But when you kind of try and talk it through with the security guy, it's like, well. If one port is open to the wrong service, that's a problem. So it's not about the number of ports. It's about the design. And to, to Johan's point, it's about keeping an eye on the service. So maybe you have regular tests to check it's still not listening. You know, Scan it regularly. Whatever it is, look at the firewall logs. It's more than just on or off. There are middle grounds to hit. And I would like also to stress out the concept that we are talking about the connections to the edge servers. So we are talking about servers that are outside our internal network outside our domains that have uh, static rules uh, to talk with uh, the few points of our internal network that uh, they are able to reach and uh, also on the really, really um, restricted number of ports. So you are not exposing uh, something that's uh, not ready to be uh, reachable from the internet. The edge is engineered to be there on your external demilitarized uh, network. That, that's a good point, actually, what you said, Fabricio. Because of what we also need to see is um, the Edge server, it's a kind of, of real application firewall. So that means like um, it just terminates every single connection in its own um, application stack and just do it in its own content with the name of the participant who joins actually the Edge server, so not the conference, the Edge server itself, um, to the internal side as a trusted system again. And if, if you really see it on the, the security side um, and, and talk to your security guys, if they think about the layer 7 firewall, so they think about HTTPS or something similar, but a real application firewall is even some, some more, much more higher. It's the layer 7 on the application itself, you could say. And that's also adding an additional security to your network, not, not a reverse proxy, for example, which can even in the same content reach something on the internal side. It really gives you a dedicated, new, detailed um, view of, of, of the connectivity. And I think that helps also to explain it, that you have an outer firewall, then you have an application firewall, and the inner firewall. So three systems. What should be happen um, in addition to that, I would always ask. Thanks very much. Uh, so, an exchange question, extensive reporting. Uh, how do you get some extensive reporting of statistics uh, on room bookings, uh, internal message stats and stuff like that? PowerShell is obviously the, the, an easy go-to. Uh, commands like get mailbox statistics and get mailbox folder statistics are very useful to get st uh, stats on what's happening in a mailbox. You can record that by exporting the data and then comparing it. However, it's quite an ad hoc approach. Uh, you've got to build this capability yourself. Uh, one of, uh, one of our, our fellow UC architects, Michael Van Horenbeek, or Van Hybrid as he's known, uh, works for a company called eNow, who provide uh, software called Mailscape, which does some extensive reporting on Exchange, uh, and also Exchange Online. Uh, some clients I, I'm working with are looking at that to, to do ongoing monitoring of their Office 365 environment as well, and it's got some capabilities for Link. I should probably add, they have been a sponsor of the UC Architects in the past. Can you tell? Uh, 
and for room booking systems there's not there's not a lot built into exchange to give you reports on who's booked when how busy meeting rooms are uh, so most organizations will want two things well one statistics on usage of these rooms uh, and some sort of room management as well that's integrated into exchange uh, that the common thing is screens outside the rooms so you can see who's using the room next uh, get them to tap in to make sure that they confirm the reservation as they get there so it can be released if needed. Uh, and I've seen success from organisations using some of those systems. Uh, one that's, that, that I've had good feedback on is the Evoco Room Manager. Uh, I've seen that uh, that use at an international broadcaster and it just, it's just fantastic. It means that when we start a meeting, we've got to make sure that we tap into the meeting, otherwise someone else you know, will release the room and someone else could book it if they need something at short notice, but it also has the back-end statistics. Uh, the feedback is it's a, a really good solution. Uh, it's not a sponsor or anything like that. This is just pure customer feedback from organizations I've spoken to. Uh, it's, it is not a, a separate system per se, uh, it does integrate directly with Exchange so people can continue to book rooms in the normal sort of way. So that's so if I wanted those detailed stats to provide to facilities management and so on, then I'd go for a system like that. Uh, the next one was moving public folders to room mailboxes uh, with a bit of a sigh. Uh, so at the moment, that, that is a bit of a pain. There's not a simple solution. You can't uh, easily script export of that data into PSTs and re-ingest it into Exchange. So it is quite a manual process. Uh, a lot of public folder consolidation ends up uh, employing somebody, uh, bringing someone in from the service desk to do some of that work uh, because it's doing something that that's reorganizing the way that exchange works to meet new business rules uh, so i don't have a great out-of-the-box solution that'll work uh, however you can script creation and import of that data once you've got it out of the public folders uh, to reorganize it that way uh, which can, can can at least help with half of the work it depends how many new room mailboxes you've got some of the issues that you're likely to have is, is ongoing meetings that are already booked in uh, and notifications if people are added or removed from those. Uh, obviously, it's moving from public folders into room mailboxes, so, so there's going to be some gaps where that might be a problem. Uh, last couple of questions for today uh, are, are both kind of interlinked. Uh, so, first of all, uh, what, are the, what do you see as the, the technical challenges uh, the business challenges and the opportunities for, for Cloud PBX. Um, so for, first, let's start with the technical difficulties. And it's, this is for Discovery Business Online in general, uh, is that you don't have an end-to-end -end optimization of your network from uh, Sky for Business Online to your local network because it's delivered over the internet. Uh, so what's important to think about if you are considering... Uh, uh, the cloud uh, voice part or cloud PBX part is uh, that it is a simple service in that manner, but uh, it will al also be possible to have express routes to um, uh, Office 365 that's optimized for Skype for Business, which means that uh, you can have an end-to-end -end, um, experience uh, on quality of service. And uh, because that's really important if you have a uh, telephony solution or voice solution is that users get the quality they expect uh, with uh, as little pa packet loss as possible and jitter and, and so on. So that's the main technical difficulty I see. And uh, 
Um, the advantage is that for smaller companies or upstarts, I'm thinking that they, it's an easy way to get a full conferencing system uh, that is voice enabled as well. So it will be even easier to start up a new company or being a small company and have no infrastructure, but still have an enterprise solution. Because uh, if you were to deploy the same solution on premises, it's uh, could be a larger project that uh, smaller companies wouldn't uh, have done anyway. So uh, that that's a huge up uh, upsell uh, I see uh, regarding that. And I suppose that this one, this question, uh, we could tie this one with the one about the tenants because right now, if uh, you think about uh, the fact that you are able to have. Uh, Uh, your enterprise voice uh, in the cloud. Um, you have to wonder if it makes sense, for example, to buy services from a tenant, uh, for example, from a cost point of view, okay, because probably the offer that Microsoft will be able to give you will be uh, more economic, less costly than uh, the offers that, uh, uh, you know, a, a third party is able to create to prepare and uh, so uh, that's a business opportunity for sure and also a technical challenge for companies that right now live on the uh, voice enterprise voice and uh, the related products because they probably will have to change their uh, business model their uh, way to go on the market and uh, From a technical point of view also, uh, what I see is uh, the same thing that you have with all the cloud-related products because you, uh, I see a problem on the fact that uh, as a network administrator, you have uh, really few tools uh, to debug, uh, to troubleshoot, to help your customers, your users when uh, there is a problem with your uh, futures, your products. And that's uh, normal with uh, a, a product that you are buying on the cloud and so probably uh, this one will uh, require a change in the mind of uh, administrators that will have to uh, you know uh, accept the fact that uh, on some aspects of their work uh, they're going to be like customers they have no uh, direct tools to uh, resolve a, an issue a problem yeah so my point of view on this is like office 365 skype online is essentially a multi-tenant solution so it means it will always have limitations uh, no matter what um, so maybe in the long run it will be less and less but currently there are so many limitations technically um, which turns around many topics but If you look at what Jamie Stark actually said during Ignite, and he has a great presentation around that, he said there are three types of deployments, which essentially we know, on-premise, you have online, and the hybrid piece. So he looks at when are you going to online? Well, we can leverage more and more features from the cloud. So we can move more and more users to the cloud and maybe also leverage features from the cloud. But cases are very high that you will need still some infrastructure. What that infrastructure really is doesn't really matter at this stage, but probably this will be there. Um, so, and if you look at the multi-tenant solution, it needs to be a solution that works for most companies. So I would say like maybe 60 to 80% of the companies could potentially use to move to the cloud. But, okay, <laughs> no, what I want to say is like, um, so if you are a company that requires 
more functionality than Microsoft can deliver currently, like you still have to be on-premise or hybrid. So you have to think about, for example, difficult tasks like integrating into the network. Like if we're talking about SDN, currently there's no way to integrate an SDN with so many different customers. Um, maybe Microsoft will get there some sometime, but this will take a very long time. Also, being able to control whatever is going over the network to view everything, uh, Microsoft has a huge job of delivering all of those capabilities. So for me personally, in the long run, it will be hybrid. And maybe, maybe in the long future, we can go all the way in the cloud, but you never know. Yeah, that's a good point. I also see it from now on when I, I spoke to some customers. First, we have to see in Office 365, we have different services. Means like we have real-time communication services. Means probably at the same millisecond you want to get an answer or some, some response. And you have some services where it not really matters. I mean, be honest, if an email comes a second later, it doesn't matter. But if your answer on a very important question or in a very... Um, Tactic talks come a second later or you hear yourself, that really matters. And um, the other part is even when we talk about the cloud PBX, we see that we have different um, data centers around the world, so different regions on, on Microsoft environment. I, I don't even want to, no, I actually want to mention China, what has happened. I mean, China, it's a totally isolated, non-Microsoft, Office 365 cloud something, so we even don't know actually what it is. So we have so many challenges when we talk about express routes, seeing what is going on there, how we integrate that countries, like even the Asian part in China, um, where do we host it? I mean, on email, it really doesn't matter. If it's in, in the European zone, it's in the European zone. It can be delivered to US. The compliance is not that difficult. But on the telecommunication side, it's, it's, it's much more. How that should look like when you have a company, and I, I talked there from some experience on some really great um, hotel companies, um, which, which have hundreds of hotels around the world, and also want to do certain parts on email and later even on, on Skype for business, we even don't know how, how that could ever work. So they decided, um, okay, we're not going to the cloud yet. Um, therefore, important is to see where you start with. Don't make the big step at once. Maybe start with um, the small solutions where it's, it's possible to do. Start with email, maybe get the broadcast meetings up and, and plan for the future. Going to the cloud, not with everything in, 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 in one big train or bus, maybe just get the pieces which make sense. Get the right consultants and, and figure it out what makes really sense I'm moving to the cloud yet and what makes sense maybe in a year or in three, but the cloud might be the right way. Tom, quickly? Quickly? Yeah. <laughs> Thank so, you. So, so for listeners, for listeners, Steve has to catch a plane in about like, what, well, half an hour? <laughs> not quite that. <laughs> but I will get killed if I miss it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I guess just wrapping up thoughts, I agree with pretty much everything on the panel. Uh, the Cloud PBX is another tool in the toolbox. And I'm hopeful it unlocks lots of people that are already on Office 365 but aren't using Skype for business for enterprise voice because there's a lot of those people. They use Skype for IMP and a bit of conferencing. Once they can do PSDN conferencing, and maybe, you know, to, to Johan's point, it's only 60% of the business, but maybe 60% can use enterprise voice and, and the rest have a special requirement, you're still unlocking opportunities and value to leverage it there. 
Um, but yeah, it'll be a long journey and it's another option. Thanks. Uh, so thanks everybody as well. Thank you to Starle, Tom, Johan, Thomas and Fabrizio. Uh, and of course, for, for all of you for joining us late in the day. Uh, I know everyone's eager to get home. Uh, I'd like to thank our show's editor, which will be Andy again. Uh, and also... I've just mentioned his name. Of course, Andy's putting on UC Day, which is a similar event to this uh, in the UK on the 28th of September. Uh, so a full day of Skype, some exchange Office 365 stuff. Uh, and that's in Birmingham, UK. Uh, and uh, as always, we'll be back in a few weeks' time. Uh, and we want to remind you that we are online. You can find us at the UC Architects uh, at, uh, on www.theucarchitects.com. Uh, download the podcast from iTunes if you haven't if you prefer yammer yammer's over on the office 365 network at aka.ms office 365 network there's no skype for business mvps there most of the time um, but you'll find uh, yeah yeah they prefer to meet in real life ironically uh, <laughs> so for full details of everything we've chatted about today see the website for links to, to everything as well and we'll see you back for the next episode hopefully with pat hosting Thanks for listening. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Cheers. Thank you.